either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry. You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Busy this week in the screening room, and most of the good stuff is a little bit under the uh, under the radar. But we'll talk about them all. Welcome. This is the Screening Room Podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And we are from MadWolf.com. We will start with the adaptation of the book telling the story of a woman who raised herself in the marshes of the Deep South, becoming a suspect in the murder of a man she was once involved with. It's where the crawdads sing. There's no fingerprints on the railing. Great stuff. Being isolated was one thing. Being hunted, quite another. You didn't see me here. The Marsh girl, she killed him. I know you have a world of reasons to hate these people. No, I never hated them. They hated me. They harassed me. Oh, they never did see me here. You want me to beg for my life? I won't. Way out yonder, where the crawdads sing. The Marsh knows one thing above all else. Every creature does what it must to survive. So a massively popular novel that was uh, a lot of the popularity, I guess, had to do with Reese Witherspoon and a book club. And Oh, really? But then she went on to, she's the producer. She produced. Oh, the, she has her own book club like Oprah does? I don't know. Someone okay. told me that. I well, here's know. the thing I just saw. I I think the author of this book is now like wanted for questioning in this age old murder. Wow. Uh, it, it's getting crazy. In the marsh? A murder I, in the marsh? I, I don't know. But and wasn't there a thing recently where a woman wrote a book called How to Murder Your Husband yeah, and Get Away with It and whole, was recently convicted of murdering her husband? That's a whole nother, that's a whole nother <laughs> story. She's going to tank the sales since she no longer got away with we're it. Go- anyway. <laughs> we're off on some tangents here. <laughs> the point is, it was a very popular book and now it is a movie. Yes, where the crawdads sing. And uh, this is one that will we'll right away, I think if you've listened to this podcast at all, you've probably heard us say how much we we do not care for the voiceover narration. And this movie is full of it. And apparently that's how the book is written. Which, which is I to get, say it's first person. Right, which is I get. And that's fine because when you when you read those words, it's totally different than going to a movie and having those words read to you mm-hmm. because then you're just wasting the power of your medium, which is visual. Right. We've gone on about this a lot. Yes. So it's a cheat. It's it a is very, a cheat. It very seems like a cheat. easy way to make a point without having to actually show us anything. So I'm always wondering, now this is a, I believe this is the first feature for director Olivia Newman, but the writer who did the adaptation, Lucy Alibar, wrote Beasts of the Southern Wild. Yeah. And it just made me... Really surprised. Which is such an incredible yes. feat of visual storytelling. Yes. They don't yes. spoon feed you anything. Right. So in this working in this young adult type of genre, I just wonder that they realize what a cheat it is, but they're doing it anyway because it helps to zero in and make their the young adult audience, specifically the females, feel like, oh, this is me. This, this is me. Yeah, At any know. point, it is a cheat. And yeah. so right away, that gets me in the opening minutes of this movie. I'm like, oh. But it's just really the the start of of what is a series of 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 things that are not authentic and and that are sanitized for this story that may have been a good book. I can see some of the the, the plot points unfolding on a book that that have a lot more of an impact than to do here. But let's start with the good points. And the main good point about this movie is the performance of Daisy Edgar Jones, who has I didn't really know her. She's mainly been in TV and some miniseries and things. She's pretty good here. Uh, with a with a role that re- she elevates, I think, because she is the w- once we get past the 
young girl age, you know, the eight, nine-year-old age, who did have a family originally in the marshes of Carolina, North Carolina. And then she's left on her own. And she just raises herself, um, but somehow emerges a- as Daisy, uh, looking like a, a-, a debutante more than <laughs> Nell. Um, that's just one of the things. Then you've got the fact that the marshes, there's no bug bites in these marshes. There's no thunderstorms. And I know that sounds nitpicky, but it just adds up into a very inauthentic. There's no authenticity here. And it just feeds into the fact that so many of the points and the themes that feed into what becomes a self-reliance fantasy are just sanitized. Some of them are well-meaning. Mm-hmm. They are. Once it gets into this trial, because she is, she's, she's put on trial for, for a murdering this local rich boy who uh, she had uh, uh, an involvement with, a relationship with. And she won't take a plea deal, and she won't really talk about it either. And she's defended by a kindly lawyer uh, in town, played by David Strathairn, always who's wonderful. always always reliable, mm-hmm. always good to see him. And the rest of the cast pretty much falls into you know easily cookie-cutter, easily identifiable cookie-cutter sort of uh, interchangeable roles. But, mm-hmm. but she is pretty good with, with what she's given. And some of the themes, um, classism... And misogyny, maybe, uh, I, I don't want to say much more to, to give anything away if you haven't read the book, but but they're all just scrubbed and, and made convenient and sanitized. So they're, the stakes aren't really that bad as, you know, to make it just steam. Well, let's still have some good feelings here as it heads toward a, uh, a finale that I will give it credit for mm-hmm. taking a mm-hmm. bit of a surprise that I didn't guess. I thought it would go in a couple of different ways, not having read the book, and it didn't go there. So I, I give credit for that. And it does have its moments. It's just it's just more of that, and we've said this a million times too, that special young girl who just is just hasn't been seen by the right people. Yep. And it, you get that message, that young adult theme, and then you do it with the voiceover narration again, you're like, oh, come on. Um, it's more the same, and it just leads down the same path. Even when you have a good lead performance, you, you've just got everything muted, and and it just starts to feel like it's just so. It's I'm not going to say it goes as far as as being as awful as a um, who's that one author? Um, Nicholas Sparks. Oh, it's it's not that bad. Okay, <laughs> it, 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 it's really not. But um, but it was disappointing. Right. Let's put it that way. And if you're a big big fan of the book, I get it. Um, and maybe this is more for you because you're used to this type of first person, and it's zeroing in right on your expectations. But. Uh, not having read it and put together as a film, especially when looking at the uh, the screenwriter. Yeah, Beast of the Southern Wild, because that is Southern Gothic type mm-hmm. of stuff. And this is Southern Gothic, as I said in my written review. This is to Southern Gothic as Justin Bieber is to the Delta Blues. Right. Um, you might recognize some notes, but uh, there's too much polish on yep. it. There just is. And that is where the crawdads sing out in all the movie theaters right now. Let's stay in the theaters for an animated adventure for the family. Hank, a lovable dog with a head full of dreams about becoming a samurai, sets off in search of his destiny. It's Paws of Fury, the legend of Hank. Why do you want to be a samurai? I lived in a bad part of town full of bad dogs. Everybody always picked on me. I thought if I could be a samurai, it would change everything. Sounds like you need a mentor. Perhaps a once great samurai who has fallen on hard times maybe could use some help himself. But where could I find one? What? Get out of here! Who even made that? It's you! Don't believe everything you read. Well, right away, you look at the two main voice talents here. You've got Michael Sarah and Samuel L. Jackson. 
That's an odd couple that is. could be funny. Yep, yeah, it definitely could be. Also, the villain is played by Ricky Gervais. It's another great voice. George Takai is in there. Uh, Michelle Yeoh. There's a lot. There's a lot of, uh, and Mel Brooks. Mel, 96, I think, 96-year-old Mel Brooks, who's also listed, he gets one of the, there are many writing credits yes. here. He gets one. He does. He does get a writing credit. Um, and the movie, you know, I liked the trailer. I mean, I, you know, I didn't love the trailer, but I liked the trailer. I thought this could be funny. Michael Sarah's voice is perfect mm-hmm. for this hapless dog <laughs> who just wants to learn to be a samurai and winds up becoming Without any training, the samurai of this small town. And he's a dog in a land of cats. That's right. He has left the land of dogs Mm -hmm. and he's traversed many a a dangerous uh, wilds to get to the land of cats because he wants to become a samurai. They don't want him there. So that's the first big thing that he has to overcome. And he's really only there because Ricky Gervais, he wants a bad samurai protecting this town because he wants the town gone because it mars the landscape from his palace window. (laughs) So he doesn't want it to muck up his view anymore. That sounds like Ricky Gervais. It does. It does. (laughs) And Sam Jackson plays the mentor, the the teacher, the master samurai, who himself is not taking care of this town because he spends a little too much time with the catnip Uh uh, because of some shame in his past. And one of the things that is sort of (laughs) clever about the film is the way it constantly references References what you're expecting to happen. Like it'll say it out loud. You know, at one point uh, when they start training together, Hank says, "Oh, this is the montage scene." <laughs> yeah, you know, and uh-huh. there's there's lots of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and but it's just not very funny. Right. All of the funny bits are really in the trailer, and then you've got another eighty plus minutes to sit through. Yeah. I was surprised. Uh, some so many of the jokes are really old. Like. Really old. Those might be Mel Brooks's jokes. Yeah, maybe so. <laughs> uh, and then a lot of the a lot of the humor, like there's a massive giant toilet mm-hmm. uh, made of jade, and that figures prominently. And I remember thinking, why? What? These are cats and dogs, first of all. So that it doesn't, you know what I mean? So yeah. like the none of the humor seems to make any real sense. It doesn't connect to the story. It doesn't connect to the characters. But also. It doesn't have that kind of fun, weird, random feel right. that would have made it also funny. It's just, well, that's the thing. The movie is just not very funny. Yeah, and the animation is not poor, but it's not great. No, it's fine. So it just, it's, it's whatever. just gonna, it's just gonna depend on how badly you and the kids want to sit in some air conditioning this summer for an hour and a half. There is, however, an incredibly weird short film that comes before it. If you see it theatrically. Uh, something about uh, uh, a bad hamster. The bad hamster. Bad I think hamster. it's from a Nickelodeon <laughs> show about Big Nate, and it is so weird. This bad hamster short film. It's I don't. Did I enjoy it? I don't know, but I will give her credit for being <laughs> super, super weird. So it's got that, and that is Pause of Fury. Yeah, maybe yeah. the Legend of Hank in theaters now. Next up is a comedy drama based on a series of books. A widowed cleaning lady in 1950s London falls madly in love with a couture Dior dress and decides that she must have one of her own. This is Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris. A Dior dress is designed to astonish. How will you do that, Mrs. Harris? You are nobody. Invisible. May I give you a lift? What was I thinking coming here? I'm just a cleaner from London. No, your cleaner dreams of the most beautiful gown in the world. You dare to follow your dreams, Mrs. Harris. Bravo. This is not possible. Not at all. Where are you going, Mrs. Harris? To see the boss. 
I have never encountered anyone like you. Come on, girls, follow me. Today, there's a new woman, a modern woman. I thought it was too late. Now, I'm not so sure. Here's another one based on a book, based on a series, series of, of books. books. Yeah. yeah, actually. And uh, also there was an Angela Lansbury version of this very story in like the 90s made for TV. Angela Lansbury and Omar Sharif. And it's quaint and, you know, sweet and charming. And it, it, and it is the film has a very throwback quality. It's the kind of movie they don't really make anymore. Right. That's true. It's a, it, it reminded me of a, some sort of mashup between Cinderella and Mary Poppins. Yeah. Definitely a fairy tale, but it has Leslie Manville in the lead. Now, Leslie Manville is fantastic. She has been so great for so many years, but mainly I, in supporting roles. I can't remember a lead. No, her, I can't either. Unless I'm forgetting something. But I remember her being stupendous in many a supporting role. And it's great to see her have the lead. She's just great. It's just that this, and this is, like you said, it's quaint. It's a feel good. It has that charm. Uh, it just goes on too long. Yeah, they. I mean, they really needed to. And the thing is, I think the reason it goes on for so long is because there are so many storylines. Right. Mrs. Harris affects so many different people's yeah. lives. And they... They should have trimmed one of those storylines. Really I mean, it's just to, yeah. it just goes on for too long, and and all of the storylines are also quaint and charming, but all together, I, you know, and and we saw it with our friend Tyrone, and I think we all had the same feeling. Like it starts off, and you're like, oh, this is fun, this is charming, and then you know, an hour later, you're like, am I still watching this movie? <laughs> yeah, because yeah. it's yeah, it just it it can't it can't you know hold up the weight. That the the running right. time leaves with right, it. and it, it also sports a um, supporting uh, role performance from the great Isabel Huppert. She's oh, in this too, oh, yeah. so it's great to see her. Uh, it also reminded me a lot of the movie we reviewed a couple weeks ago uh, about the golfer, uh, played by Mark Rylance. You know the Phantom, uh, of, the the Phantom of the Open. In that feel good, just guy in the right place at the right time. Sort of these fairy tale things happen, and a, a little bit like that. Yeah. But this is yeah, based on the series of books. Yeah, it would have been so much more enjoyable. Like an hour and a half right. instead of two full hours, because you're right. What it what it's offering doesn't have enough weight to support that. No, and you know, and I think that uh, you know, at, at its heart, one of the things I like about this fairy tale story is that it, you're not in the end going to turn Mrs. Harris into one of these princesses. You're not. The movie is not about that. It's actually it, it, she's much more comfortably aligned and appropriately so with the garbage men who are on strike. That's who you're supposed to root for so that mm-hmm. the, the the people who are washing clothes and digging ditches and taking care of the garbage, that they get a fair shake. And these people who can afford couture, stop it, like stop being the ones in charge. And, and I appreciate that mm-hmm. that is it. It's not the Cinderella story where, oh, now you get to go be that person. I liked that. And I think that had they paired it back a little bit more, that theme would have shown. I will say this, though. For a movie that's based so much around, the premise is based so much around her reaction to these dresses, even me, who's not a fashionista, those were nice dresses. They were nice dresses. And her reaction to them is perfect. She's she's got this just sparkling blue eyes, and they just come to life. I'll give that. They look great. Yeah, they do. The costumes are fantastic. Uh, And that is in theaters. Just goes on a little too long, but there's some feel-goodiness here, and Leslie Manville is always welcome. That's called Mrs. Aris Goes to Paris in theaters. (laughs) How's that for an accent? (laughs) Let's stay in theaters for the latest from one of our favorite filmmakers, Claire Denis. This is a love triangle story about a woman caught between two men, her longtime partner, and his best friend, her former lover. This is now called Both Sides of the Blade. 
Maintenant, tu vas voir le diable. I say now called because originally up until I think five minutes ago, <laughs> it was called fire. Uh, so you can find it depending on where you're looking. But it's actually now called both sides of the blade. Claire Denis is she's just a fascinating filmmaker and she just seems to move into different genres, but employ sort of the same M.O. in that she digs into the to the genre and subverts your expectations, especially about the character's motives. Um, she, you know, sci-fi. She just did High Life. Mm-hmm. Original, loved that. Mm-hmm. Of course, I uh, go back to horror and um, Trouble Every Day. Oh yeah, love and that. now this is your good old psychosexual erotic drama. One of the things I think, because she's also done documentary, and I yeah. feel like that has had a huge influence on her filmmaking. Because one of the things she does that nobody else does, what I love about her, is she spends most of their running time on the moments that everybody else ignores completely. And then she ignores the moments that a lot of other people would build their story on, but she still tells the same story. It's fascinating. Good point. Well, a lot of that, yeah, that kind of carries over here. And you've got uh, a favorite of hers, uh, Juliette Binoche, who they've worked together. Favorite of all of ours. Yes. She plays Sarah. And then her longtime partner is Jean, played by Vincent Linden, who was just recently so great in Tatane. Yeah. And he's great. And these two are, are great together. They're great performances. And they've been together about a decade. And they're just coming back from a holiday. And it's been very affectionate. They've spent a lot of time <laughs> getting to know each other. Well, they already knew each other. But anyway, you get my point. They seem like a very happy and affectionate couple. But then once they're back in town, she catches a glimpse of Francois, his best friend and her former lover and then she's just all a flutter with these new feelings and and then they're just all stirred up more when jean announces the fact that he and francois are going to start a business together and so that just brings francois into their lives even more and and at the same time that that her feelings are, are starting to boil up and and he's getting a little bit jealous then he has to deal with this relationship this troubled relationship he has with his teenage son that has been fractured because jean spent some time in prison in the past, and he left his mother to raise the boy. So you've got these two different uh, relationships, and well, actually three, and all these different people. And it just is a, is a look at the past and coming to grips with the past and, and dealing with the, the, the choices that you've made. But it the way she does, kind of like you just alluded to, she gets into this for the first two-thirds of the movie. You, you could make a case that she's almost sending up this type of movie and this type of genre. But toward then, when it finally gets to that third act, it doesn't feel like she is because it does finally explode into some intense humanity and raw emotion. And it really makes your confusion from the first couple acts worthwhile because she leaves like again, because you nailed it. Um, She leaves so much out early on. There are these these histrionics and dramatic uh, upheavals that you think there's got to be more to this than than we are than we know. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And you never know. Mm-hmm. You just leave it out. And, but it comes to fruition, even though these things that you don't know for sure, it comes to fruition uh, in the end. And it's led by these two great performances. And then Francois is played by Gregor Collin, who's who's also good, but he's not in it nearly as much. Mm. This is about the two of them. And uh, and it's just I, I just we I think we both always want to see everything she does. Yes, absolutely. Because she just attacks it differently, no matter what sort of genre that she's working in. And this is definitely worth seeing. Um, was called Fire, now called Both Sides of the Blade. It's in theaters now. Also in theaters is a drama set in a remote village in Costa Rica. Clara, a withdrawn 40-year-old woman, experiences a sexual and mystical awakening as she begins a journey to free herself from her repressive religious and social conventions 
which have dominated her life. This is called Clara Sola. Well, here's another one where they don't really tell you anything. They unveil things little by little, mm-hmm. but but they leave you to figure out what's going on, and the film is so much stronger for I'll it. I'll take that over voiceover narration. Oh, yeah. I'll tell you that. Well, this is from co-writer and director Natalie Alvarez-Maison. It's beautiful. It's such a gorgeous movie. And it, it's all non-actors, and the Clara is played by... Wendy Chinchilla Araya. That's a great name. It is a great name, and she is, by trade, she's a dancer. She is spectacular. I mean, there's nothing artificial, nothing cloying, nothing false about this performance as a woman who you might almost call feral. She has a, she, she lives with her mother and her niece in a remote village and they have a, a horse named Yucca that the um a neighbor takes out every day for tourists and that's kind of how they make their living. Mm-hmm. And she is believed to be a healer, but she's definitely not completely normal, you would not say. She's not allowed really to leave the yard. The yard has these little fence posts with uh, purple ribbons, and she knows that she can't go past the purple ribbons. Um, and so much of the movie, it's very interesting because you f- the love that her mother and her niece have for her and she has for them feels very, very authentic and true. And at the same time, the way they live uh, and their sort of devotion to uh, religious constraints is probably going to kill her. Mm-hmm. And and it's so fascinating the way there's nothing heavy handed about it. You just see it. And not only that, the difference, the difference between spirituality and religion, but also how women so often are the people who enforce patriarchal um, Fascinating restrictions on other women, yeah. and it's and it and again it's and it's actually done an almost a forgiving, a very empathetic way. But uh, when the neighbor goes away for a while and brings in somebody else named Santiago to run the the uh, tourists for him, there is an awakening all over the place. And that <laughs> that performance is by Daniel Castaneda Rincon. He's magnificent. It's such a tender complicated, lovely performance. Um, and that's the thing, too, is that given that none of these people have acting experience, you I mean, you wouldn't know it. They're just wonderful. Well, then I'm looking at the director. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a gorgeous movie, too. It, I mean, it looks amazing. And as naturalistic as the performances are, she creates a real sense of sort of mysticism and beauty with the natural world. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very enchanting. Where it's, it's just a beautiful film. See it. Find yeah, it. See it. That's one of the best uh, of the bunch this week in theaters. Clara Sola. Let's do a documentary in theaters this weekend, looking at former Congresswoman Gabby Gifford's courage and perseverance in the aftermath of the 2011 assassination attempt that left her partially paralyzed and with a language impairment. This is called Gabby Gifford's Won't Back Down. The words are there in my brain. I just can't get them out. Gabby Giffords making her way back to the Capitol. Too many children are dying. Too many children. We must do something. Nobody could have been more compelling than Gabby was that day. Love to talk. I'm Gabby. 
Well, this is the latest from directors, co-directors Julie Cohen and Betsy West, who did RBG, right. the Oscar-nominated RBG, uh, a couple of years ago. And this is just, it's such a great story of, of strength and perseverance and getting to know Gabby Giffords, if, if you didn't know her, and her husband, who is now in the Senate. Right. Uh, at this time, he was an astronaut when they got together, so he's got his own heroic story. Yeah. Uh, when she was in Congress and she was thinking about, she was a rising star, a centrist in Arizona, very popular, rising star in the Democratic Party and thinking about running for Senate when she was shot, as she was meeting constituents at this event, she was shot in the head. And that attack, I'd forgotten, actually killed at least two people. Oh my God. And almost killed her. Uh, And when it was determined that she would survive, but had a long road ahead of her, uh, Mark Kelly, her husband, tells us in this documentary that he thought that she would want to see her journey. So he picked up the video camera and that's where we get all this great behind the scenes footage. Amazing. And you see her injuries and how far she has come and her learning to walk and learning to talk again and their decision to have him run for Senate. And and so it's a great perseverance story. Um, and But then it's also, it sort of shifts gears in about the third act and it feels a little bit tonally, I'm not going to say whiplash, there's a big tonal shift when it moves ahead to the current problem of epidemic of gun violence. But then you realize that, you know, that's just a part of her now as much as uh, music. There's a lot of music in here, too, because she loves music, especially 80s music. But it also music therapy played a big role in her learning to communicate again. And so now that she's working so hard, she's got a group, Gun Owners for Safety. She's working so hard to help with the gun violence problem that you realize that that's just part of her now. That is her essence going forward. She's not in Congress or really politics anymore. She's more of an advocate. So uh, I, I th- for me, it didn't take long before I settled into that that tonal shift. But it's a it's a really great feel good story. Um, it it it's obvious these directors like her very much. But at the <laughs> same time, it doesn't really feel like just a movie made by fans for fans. Um, she it's hard not to like her. It really really is, and it's incredible. Even if you don't, you have to stand up uh, and and give her props for her incredible strength and courage and perseverance. And it's just, it's a great story. Gabby Giffords won't back down in theaters now. Going to Amazon Prime next. When a single father to a teenage daughter learns that he has a fatal brain tumor, he takes her on a road trip to find the mother who abandoned her years before and try to teach her everything that she might need for the rest of her life. This is Don't Make Me Go. There's one option, but the operation is risky. So when are you having the surgery? I don't know. How do I tell my daughter? I'm kind of it for her. Let's go somewhere. We've never taken a real road trip together. No way. It's the rest of summer. We're going. I will be miserable the entire time. I will teach you to drive on the way. When you look back on this trip, I want you to remember you and me spending time together, not you waiting for your boyfriend to call. I didn't know your headaches were this bad. You never tell me anything. I bet on you. I want you for my whole life. You have a fire inside you, Wally. Life is going to pull some moves to try and put it out. Trust yourself. All right, so you've got young adult and a road trip movie. Yeah, unfortunately, it, it sort of follows that pattern. You do have a couple of good performances here. John Cho is he's always great. Yeah, he's is really nice to see him. He's the father who learns he has a brain tumor, and then his daughter Wally is played by Mia Isaac, who I didn't know, and she's good. And they have a nice a nice chemistry. Uh, between them as they go on on this road trip and she starts learning things and although he keeps the news from her for quite a while but they they go across the country from california to louisiana to seek out the mother who abandoned both of them when the the child wally was just a baby 
So you can kind of guess the sentimentality of where a lot of this goes, and it does. It's manipulative, and it's young adulty for a di- yeah. for, for a different uh, um, type of term. It's not great, um, but we get you, a little Jermaine though. You do get some Jermaine Clement um, as a, a small part, the former friend of John Cho's, who actually is the reason why the mom left, left to be with Jermaine. Uh, so yeah, he's got a scene or two, uh, which is nice. But it's it's just it's easy to predict, and it's got that same manipulative quality. It's not quite doesn't quite dig into that oh she's so special nobody's seen it quite yet type mm-hmm. of thing, but uh, it gives you um, without without giving away anything it gives you one of those eye rollers at the end. I'm yeah. like oh really, <laughs> um, and just a little bit, just a little bit of voiceover narration, not not too much, just a little bit. But uh, yeah, a couple of decent performances, but otherwise, uh, unless you really love the young adult, might want to skip that one. That's on Amazon Prime called Don't Make Me Go. Boy, another inspiring documentary next. In partnership with Challenged Athletes Foundation comes the inspiring true story of Landis Sims, a 15-year-old baseball player born with quad congenital limb deficiency, which means he's missing both hands and feet. And he defies the odds and is off on the baseball diamond every day. This is called Landis, Just Watch Me. I'm headed to high school, and my goal is to make the varsity baseball team. Playing Little League is one thing. Landis is going to have to work a lot harder than the average kid to be able to play at the high school level. He has had coaches over the years tell him, you can't play baseball. He has had kids tell him, you can't play baseball. And he has just looked at them, and he doesn't say anything, because then he just goes out and shows them. My name is Landis Sims. I believe anything is possible. This is just a really well-made documentary. So they followed uh, this kid from T-Ball. In Indiana. He's in Indiana. In a small town in Indiana from T-Ball all the way through, uh, you know, tryouts for varsity high school baseball. So you see him grow up. Eight years they they spent with him. And it's, he's a great kid. And he's a really good ball player. Mm-hmm. And I I love that about this movie is that that's really the focus. It's not like, look at everything he's overcome. It's not schmaltzy or heavy handed. It's right. that you don't have these moments where you feel like you're being beat up. You they, they just show you everything he does every day, everything he does every day just to get ready to go out into the world. And, and all that his family and supporters ha- have done to invest in him by helping. I mean, it's fascinating to watch what when they are figuring out how to make prosthetics that will be useful to him. Yeah. It's just that's the, the kind of sort of uh, day in, day out, really fascinating material that the that the film unearths. No doubt because they spent so much time with this this kid, Landis uh, Sims, and his family. The cinematography is great. Uh, it's it's just a really well-made film and just as inspiring as it could possibly be. Director is Eric Cochran, and uh, especially it'll give you more feels if you if you were once a, a baseball parent as we were. Right. Uh, and spent all those years on the diamond as your kid played baseball for so many years. Give you some extra smiles. And also will remind you of the movie Boyhood in the way it actually lets you see this young man yeah. grow up. Yeah, yeah. And shout out to uh, Columbus native 
Pete Brown, who is, uh, is was the writer for the film as well. We always like to... And full disclosure, a friend of ours. Friend of ours. But uh, not why we're not at all why we're saying... No, you're going to like this movie. This movie. You're going to exactly. like it. Exactly. And you can catch this on demand on Prime. And it's a bargain, too. Just three ninety nine. So well worth it. Absolutely. And that is called Landis Just Watch Me. Let's go to Shudder next for a horror tale, an eerie psychological thriller about City, who was forced to move in with her estranged mother, a live-in domestic worker, caring obsessively for her catatonic white madam in the wealthy Cape Town suburbs. This is called Good Madam. This is a South African film, and director Jenna Cato Bass made me think of Portrait of a Lady on Fire, and that's high praise. High praise. She also co-wrote it. Yeah. she. uh, One of the things that this movie does incredibly well, when you watch Portrait of a Lady on Fire, you realize that although you almost never see a man at all during the entire running time of the film, men haunt that film. They haunt it because it's the men who aren't there who are determining the trajectory of all of these women's lives. And that's what this film has going for it. There is a white woman upstairs in bed. You almost never see her at all because Mm -hmm. she is catatonic. She never comes downstairs. She's almost a non-presence. And yet she's such an omnipresence in this movie. It really does it effectively. So the the director is also listed as a co-writer. So is almost the entire cast because the film is so... Um, ad-libbed. Yeah. So, you know, just scenes. And, and it's very interesting because it gives it a real authenticity, particularly the relationships among the characters, among mother and daughter and granddaughter, uh, an estranged brother who comes in, uh, you know, uh, an ex-husband who pops up now and again. Everything feels so realistic. And also the film, because of that, because really they're focusing on on conversations with each other more than they are building the story. It's almost in that Claire Denis way. You get to the story without having it served up. To right. You. Right. Um, so she uh, the filmmaker is taking a lot of fairly traditional tropes, but completely reimagining them. Um, and in the end, what she builds is a, a, a very effective, you know, post-colonial horror, you know, a little bit like get out mm-hmm. you know uh it's it's you you have a sense of what's happening it's just the way that she builds it and the dread that just just reeks through the the, the rooms of this house it's very impressive yeah and that is on shutter well worth checking out called good madam an animated feature next in theaters the last survivor of a band of warriors is enslaved in a salt mine one night savage dogs attack and a mysterious disease wipes out everyone at the mine the warrior escapes with a little girl while a gifted physician looks for a cure this is the deer king <laughs> This is anime and is co-directed by Masayuki Miyagi, who's mainly known for having been the animation director for Spirited Away yeah. and, uh, and another, you know, uh, uh, among other... Princess Mononoke. Yeah, among other just all-time great anime or animated of any type And he's worked films. with Miyazaki for quite a while yeah. as well, but this time, this is the first time I believe he's stepping out on his own. And it looks great! The movie is gorgeous! It looks amazing, and it's based on a, a very popular fantasy novel. The story just doesn't hold up. It just doesn't. You know, they they don't stay with any of the details long enough to make them interesting. They don't tell the story well enough to keep you compelled. Or the, or the world building that you might come to expect from Miyazaki and others. Yeah, and that, and that is all from Matt Wiener. You can get his full review 
uh, on MadWolf.com. But yeah, he was a, he was a big fan of looking forward to this. Yep. Uh, rightly so. I can see a lot of people uh, doing that, but uh, it doesn't live up to the animation story wise. No. And least. the expectations given the yeah given the, the pedigree. Yeah, yeah, given the pedigree. That is the Deer King out in theaters now. Also in theaters this weekend, a mystery thriller. When Kath and her boyfriend arrive at a remote cabin in the Redwoods, they find a mysterious younger couple already there. Her boyfriend disappears with a young woman, and Kath becomes obsessed with finding an explanation. This is Winona Ryder starring in Gone in the Night. Come on, you're not even the least bit curious? About what? Who is this woman? What's he see in her? I rented your cabin. I need the contact info for one of your guests. So you want to call her? No, I need to find her. Can't do a stakeout without a partner. That's her. Where the hell is she going? What is this? <laughs> People are predictable. When they want something, they'll do whatever it takes. I thought he left me. Winona Ryder and John Gallagher Jr. Good guy, John. Yep. If you used to watch the newsroom. Yeah. Good, good guy, Jim. Good guy, Jim. But yeah. I mean, he just plays good. He plays <laughs> yeah. a good guy in yeah. almost everything. And Dermot Mulrooney pops right. up in this as well. This was reviewed by Brandon Thomas at MadWolf.com. And uh, in the end, it, 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 it tries to go in some unusual directions, but in the end falls short in, in Brandon's uh, opinion. Yeah. And, and, you know, it was one of those things where you're happy to see Winona Ryder back on the big screen you know, you're, ex- you know, she's had such great success in the last, you know, decade or so with Stranger Things. But of course, she was like the biggest thing ever in the late 80s yeah. and into the 90s. Yeah. So, but the movie maybe just doesn't quite deserve her. And that is out on VOD called Gone in the Night. Catch Brandon's review at MadWolf.com. Also on VOD this week, a washed up intelligence officer is given the chance for one last mission, recruiting an asset connected to the Saudi royal family. It's called Diary of a Spy. You lost seven. You have failed again. The Saudis, for a number of years, have employed the same tutor in Los Angeles. If you were to, say, become his girlfriend, that might provide an advantage. His name is Camden. Smart kid. Sort of like a hopeless romantic. Do you want my number? You want to see me again? Why do you hang out with him? He's never had a girlfriend, ever. There's certain things I can't do. This is too much for me. Do you want to do this? If I left tomorrow, would you come with me? They've welcomed you in. We see a real opportunity for you here. Don't be a fool, Anna. Love is not a real thing. Is this real? This is one Isaiah Merritt reviewed for us. And what he loved the most about it is how well it just changes the way you see spies. And it seems like a much more realistic look at a right, spy, right? right? And, you know, just uh, not glamorous in any way, uh, gritty, grimy, and yet tells a really fascinating, emotionally complex story. And the writer-director is Adam Christian Clark. And you can get... Isaiah's full review at MadWolf.com, but I think he liked it overall. Oh, he did. He gave it four stars. He thought it was great. Yeah, well, I would say he did that. (laughs) That's Diary of a Spy. And one more this week, a sci-fi thriller out on VOD. Confined to their glass house, a family survives the shred, a toxin that erases memory, until the sisters are seduced by a stranger 
who shatters their peace and stirs a past best left buried. This is called Glass House. Never take your eyes off me, do you? Can't take your eyes off of a snake. Did someone tell you about us? I don't think so. We're not safe from the shred, even here. I know these rituals are important to your family. Ritual is our sheep. It's funny because the the synopsis makes me think of Beguiled immediately. Oh, I could see that. Yeah. Uh, this is one that Rachel Willis reviewed for us at MadWolf.com. And it's another one, you know, like Diary of a Spy. Very well worth catching. It's on VOD right now. It's creepy, and it's really the relationship within the family that is maybe more sort of oppressive and frightening than what's happening outside with The Shred. But it's a really well-made thriller. And this is co-writer and director Kelsey Egan. So, yeah, definitely check out uh, Rachel's full review at MadWolf.com. And that one is available uh, on VOD. Prime, another just three ninety nine bargains. So there's some good ones for bargain prices this week, and you can catch that now. Okay, looking ahead to next week. Well, there's one big one been waiting for for a while. Jordan Peele's Nope. Seems like we've been waiting a long time. A very long time. Super excited for that one. Also, The Gray Man. Yeah, that is Ryan Gosling and Chris Evans. So an unattractive film. <laughs> and the Russo brothers. That's right. Ladies from the Russo. <laughs> I'm hearing some early good buzz about that. So The Gray Man. Also, Anything's Possible. Lopping. Moloch. This is Guar. That'll be a slappy movie. <laughs> also, uh, something called The Wheel. And in select theaters, uh, Marcel the Shell with Shoes On is uh, out next weekend as well. Looking forward to that. So uh, good stuff to talk about next week, but good stuff to talk about right now. So what do you think? Either at the top of some of the uh, bigger uh, bigger films out and all over with the multiplexes or some of the smaller movies this week. We love to keep the conversation going. You can always find us on Twitter at Mad Wolf. Also at Facebook and Instagram, it's Mad Wolf Columbus. And the main website with all our reviews from ourselves and the whole Mad Wolf pack. Find that at MadWolf.com. So uh, keep in touch if you can. Oh, by the way, I should say, if you didn't know, we're based in Columbus, Ohio. And the Screening Room podcast here has been nominated for a Columbus Podcast Award. So congratulations to us. Hey, so we'd love to have your vote. It's an online vote type of thing. And if you uh, are so moved, we'd love it if you go to Columbus Podcast Awards dot com and uh, cast a vote. You don't have to vote for every category. Nope. Just go right to the TV and film category if you'd like to and, uh, and vote for us. Uh, the screening room right there. We'd love you for it. So thanks again. Uh, keep in touch until next week. Be well. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. <laughs>